The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. MSW Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. theme of the, the title of this episode it all comes back to corporate america <laughs> it really does welcome to teacher quit talk where we have people that know a lot about teachers quitting and talking maybe more than us even probably more Pro- than us probably. there's a lot of people that know more than us we don't know shit about shit whenever i like tell people about this podcast i always think about how after we had already released two episodes we were on the phone and we were like wow we looked up our own podcast and realized there's a lot of similar podcasts and that neither of us even thought to google it <laughs> no until we were already fully <laughs> How many people on the internet over the years have been like, did you not Google this before you said or did X? And every time my answer is no. And every time they're like, well, if I was an influencer, I would Google everything. And I'm like, I'm a little stupid. I deleted the Google Chrome app. I, I want to know nothing. <laughs> the less thoughts in my brain, the better. <laughs> We're just living. We just raw dog it through life. But the people on this podcast with us have probably Googled, I would say, at least eight things. I would say they Google much because their job is to tell the truth and document it. You're giving us so much credit. No, you deserve it. We'll allow you to have the floor and introduce yourself. I'm Julia. And I'm Carlos. Hi. <laughs> and we're both part of Who Taught You? This is a, it's like a new movement and we're both featured in this uh, upcoming docu-series that's meant to kind of show what's going on in education and bridge the gap between people who live it and know and people who just aren't as connected to it. How did each of you like come to that? Did you work in education? Were you just a child and you were like, teachers matter? and they carried that to adulthood. I am still a college student. So I'm a junior at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln studying secondary ed social sciences. The way that I found out about this is through my scholarship coordinator. He sort of like nominated me. And so I kind of just got an email one morning and I was like, what the heck is this? Like, this is mind blowing. This is like everything I want and more. The first thing that I had to do was do a precast survey. So I submitted that and then didn't hear much for a bit. So I was like, oh, okay. I guess this isn't happening. And then I got reached out by the director, did a Zoom, 
went through like the casting process and here I am now. As someone who is a big fan of secondary social sciences but did not major in it, what made you choose that? Is that a decision you came to like in college or did you always know that that's what you wanted? Definitely in college just because when I first came in as a freshman I was actually in music education. I thought I wanted to be a music teacher in either middle school or high school. That was definitely a very vigorous program. My freshman year was also like COVID year so there was just a lot going on and I decided to step away from that pathway. My deepest condolences to have your <laughs> freshman year be COVID year. I, I think of y'all a lot. You, you know what? You're going to be the most interesting person at the old folks home though so don't even worry about it. <laughs> I love how you're yeah. playing the long game. You really have the bigger picture in mind. I really appreciate that. <laughs> I can't wait to be like 80 years old and be like screaming at teenagers like hopefully teaching and being like when I was 21 I was a teacher and this thing called Cordova virus happened and y'all don't even know. <laughs> That's crazy. I do not want to be 80 years old. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> I do not want to picture being that old. Oh my god, you're one of those people. Well, that does suck that your freshman year was COVID. Did you just go crazy your second year? Were you like, woohoo, I'm outside. Yeah, I mean, after I switched to secondary ed, social sciences, everything kind of like started looking up from there. And I've kind of been thriving since then. So very, very glad about that. Major slide. I have many questions for you, but we'll get, <laughs> we'll come back to you. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> Julia, tell us about you yeah I got really lucky with who taught you I had literally just resigned my job teaching in a Philly public school and had no plan and was literally planning to like go back and bartend or waitress or whatever and figure it out just live on a vibe um, I have a twin sister who also is a documentary filmmaker and happened to be connected to and friends with the people who are doing this and they knew about me because they would just chat about each other's families and she told Sally the director that her twin sister had just resigned from her teaching position and Philly. And Sally said, oh, we'd love to just hear about what happened. And we had a conversation, told her about the whole shebang. And they offered that I could participate in this. Like even my twin looked at me when I said yes so fast. She was like, I thought you were going to like think about it for a second. And I was like, no, I thought about it. This is like a great option for me to like process this complete whirlwind that just happened to me. And also like maybe make some money while I figure it out. And it's, it's become more than that. This is very much like the thing that I'm doing now. I'm still living on a vibe, yeah. you know, living on a prayer and a vibe. But this is like the focus. Are now. you getting paid? to be in the documentary? Carlos and I get paid and it's rare for people in documentaries to get paid. Yeah, We get yeah. paid like a stipend for the shoot days, uh -huh. basically to compensate the fact that it's like 14, 15 hour days that you can't do anything else during. What? The shoot days are pretty intense. What the hell are you doing? I mean, we're like, having conversations with people, but we're like, we're, we're like setting up and breaking down all the equipment. Oh. We've learned so quite a lot. So you're cast and crew. Yes. <laughs> what can't they do? They are teachers. They can do it all on a stipend. <laughs> poetic. And then I am like consulting for Who Taught You as like, like I'm one of the only teachers on the team or former teachers but like I, I give them perspective and like write copies for them because there's not like they're on the outside documenting the teacher crisis yeah Andy uh, and Sally both have like close people to them that are teachers Sally's sister was a teacher and they've been documenting education in public schools for like 12 years now so they've been seeing it for a while and they wanted to like scale up and go national so that's what started the who taught you so they so like honestly Sally has absolutely read more about education than I like by a lot than I have we, we go back and forth a lot and talk things through about like from my teacher perspective and her like 
expertise. Because she's like learned about it from researching. But unless you've taught post-COVID in the classroom, I don't really know. I don't think you can research that shit because it was... Unless you've felt it in your bones. Unless you've cried next to the copier a few times or had to leave the classroom (laughs) because you were going to cry in front of your kids. I I don't know. But it's good perspective. Wait, we're supposed to leave the classroom? I I like cried a little in front of my kids. I've done both. I've cried in front of third graders. Oh my god, same! And I posted about it on TikTok and I got my ass handed to me. They were like, what the fuck is wrong with you? And I was like, I don't actually know. (laughs) One time I cried with 11th graders because I just was on my period and got kind of emotional about the women's rights movement Mm -hmm. and just like got really too into what I was teaching. Oh my God, yeah. And they roasted me, but not really, like kind of in the other way. I think when it's third graders, they don't really know what to do. It was like a tear. It wasn't like like a breakdown, but they were like- Mine felt bad for about 20 seconds before they got back on their bullshit again. So it didn't really, they were fine. I didn't like traumatize them. Kids are resilient. I have cried during book reads though. In front of kindergartners, you like read the end of Charlotte's Web or something and you're like crying and they're like, teacher, what's wrong? My fifth grade teacher, we read um, Marley and Me like as a class and she made- What the hell? She made this one kid read the chapter. (laughs) Spoiler alert, if you're planning on reading Marley and Me, she made this- one can read the chapter where the dog died because she was crying so much. She was like, I can't do it. She was like, Jacob has to do it. And I have never respected a teacher more in my life ever before or since that moment where I was like, you're real. Why would you read that book in school? I, I. That is so sad. No, I think she was right for that, honestly. Because. <gasps> you're not a pet person. You can't. Okay, I'm not, I want it for the listeners. I'm not an anti-pet person. I don't want anyone to think I'm one of those people that's like, Oh, I don't really like dogs because that's unnerving. I just have personally not had a dog. So I'm assuming there's a kind of bond that I don't understand. No, I'm cutting that out. I'm I'm just going to lead everyone to think that you hate dogs. No. Redacted hates dogs. Continuing on. No, I do not. Don't slander me like this. I won't. This is worse. You know what happened at a restaurant last weekend? My boyfriend, I I ordered a steak and my boyfriend goes, are you sure you don't want it well done? I was like, never fucking embarrass me like that again. Oh my god, my husband and I have a running joke. Don't embarrass me in front of in front of our hibachi chef because my friend group goes to Benihana for somebody's birthday every year. And the first year, I was stealing mushrooms off of people's plate drunkenly. I thought you meant like the other kind of mushrooms. I was like, so you're just at Benihana, like just on mushrooms. Mushrooms are apparently the drug of the future. I digress. That's going to have to get cut out. We cannot get into this again. All right, Gwyneth Paltrow, moving on. Moving on. Wow, we went on a journey. That went left. So So anyways, Julia, you cried in front of your third grade. Because you taught third too, right? Yeah. So this this past year, I was teaching K to eight health. So I I'd had like three hundred and fifty students as a specialist. Ooh, interesting. Mm-hmm. You taught health before that. I taught seventh and eighth. I did. What was that like? By choice. Like I wanted to. It's scary to me. I think you are braver than any marine. You are. And I think that you are doing a service to the children of this nation that I know that I'm not built to do. I was teaching third grade as a student teacher, and they came back from sex ed spouting off their version of sex. ed facts you're brave how long did you teach for so i taught my first year i taught in a private boarding school that year confirmed for me that i loved teaching but i wanted to be in public school the whole time and like loved my students really appreciated the opportunity and felt like i needed to go to public school so i got my master's and my teaching cert in philly and did like almost a full year of student teaching and i had an amazing amazing mentor who basically just let us co-teach the whole time so i took seventh grade she took eighth grade and we both like survived the year together and so that was like kind 
end of a second year of teaching, like a lot of people aren't going to count it because they're student teaching. But like, I did teach that that shit on my own. And then I also taught the kids health because they weren't getting any. So I taught all of our classes health one day a week and like wrote my thesis on it. And then this year was teaching. So made it two and a half years and then did not make it anymore. I've never met somebody who taught at a boarding school. What is that like? Do you live there too? Do the kids accidentally call you mom more often than they do at other regular schools? Right. How old were they? I So I taught sixth and seventh graders that year. So when you're at a boarding school, they like milk you for all you can. So I was teaching full time. I had to coach two seasons and I also had to do like residential duties. Did you live there? Um, also, yes, <gasps> because it was the most affordable option. Oh, and yeah. like private schools don't typically pay as much as public schools. And this school was not going to pay me enough to be able to live off campus. And like. The way this is literally a company town from like the 1890s. Oh my God. Yeah, you're right. Redacted. Yeah. You're like a minor. They like own you. Like, I'm surprised they don't tuck you in at night and make sure lights are out by 10 p.m. But I guess you had to do that to the kids. Did you live in a dorm? I lived in a dorm. Like, I had, like, a one-bedroom, like, pretty spacious one-bedroom apartment, but I lived in a dorm, and I had dorm duties. And the dorm was, like, 8th and up, so 8th to 12th graders. So none of my students lived in the dorm with me, thank God. But, yeah, like, all my meals were at the dining hall because I couldn't afford groceries, and it was just the cheapest option. So literally was, like, never not in the public eye. How interesting. You taught 6th and 7th but they didn't live there? Did they live in a different building or did they live like with their family? They only started boarders at eighth grade that year, I think. Got I think it. in recent years, they've like allowed some seventh graders and it's mostly international students. At that mm. school, it's mostly domestic and mostly local students, but then there was like a small percentage who were boarders. So it wasn't like a majority boarding school. No wonder you burnt out though. What's that movie about that little French girl that lives at that place with those ladies? Madeline. Yeah. It sounds really weird and it was really weird. I was a public school kid, so like it was a weird adjustment for me to be in a private school boarding world but like I had really amazing colleagues and that school did like make me realize that I love teaching and I chose a school like that because they had the resources that I felt like I really needed my first year to be able to like get my sea legs a little bit and if I had stayed they would have paid for most of my tuition to get a master's like that's why I chose that school so you only taught two years but it was in boarding school years so it was really like 15 (laughs) sure sure we can say that most teachers don't make it past year three and I did not you did say the boarding school did have resources that you felt like you needed your first year teaching what were those resources that you felt like helped you like get your grounding I mean like the job I had in Philly I had 350 students and no technology for them no Chromebooks nothing and I had five reams of paper for the whole year and at the private school you didn't have to buy paper you could just print whatever you needed all the students you could rely on them having technology someone like the basic infrastructure was there and I had Mm -hmm. flexibility to be creative with my curriculum I had a really great middle school principal who like really nurtured me a lot so it was a good environment for my first year of teaching but it wasn't necessarily the right fit for me long term it wasn't a forever environment exactly so you taught for a couple years carlos are you you don't have to have an answer to this i don't want to like do that gross thing where we like force college kids to declare or something i hated <laughs> when people asked me that are you planning on entering the classroom after you leave college there's unlimited choices there is unlimited choices <laughs> so i do not know at all but i am like very open to the possibilities maybe moving to a small town and teaching there or like staying in Lincoln and teaching where I grew up or like going to a different state, maybe even teaching abroad, just not in the United States at all. I'm very open to anything right now. And you being open to all the possibilities shows that you are light years ahead of anyone who's 100% sure of what they're doing. (laughs) Teaching abroad is a good gig. Yeah, I've been looking into the full 
Fulbright. Oh, yeah. If you're familiar with that. I had a college roommate who was a Fulbright scholar. I know someone that did that. Nice, nice. I'm going to apply to Fulbright in Spain to teach English in Spain, and we'll see if that happens or not. I hope you get it. Thank you. After we went and shot for the documentary in California, though, I kind of do very much like Santa Monica and California in general. <laughs> it's so fun, right? That's where I went to Pepperdine. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. Everything's up in the air, and I don't know what I want to do yeah. at all. Perfect. Yeah. Don't put too much pressure on yourself. I just am excited for whatever direction you go because I think it's the most exciting adventure. Like the whole world is your oyster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would really like going abroad mm -hmm. and having that experience right after college just because I don't want to be in a position where I'm like, okay, I can teach now. Like I have the certification mm -hmm. and then I have to like sign a contract. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't see myself like working a nine to five mm -hmm. for the rest of my life right after college. And that's the same way with like my peers and my close friends just like things have changed as someone who does work a nine to five do not recommend <laughs> as somebody who doesn't do recommend <laughs> so i'm curious to see like what are some things that surprised you while shooting like were there any pieces of information that were shocking to you or you didn't expect to find um i think for me at least i've just been so in the in the teaching world for the last like three years while i've been in it but also like i was meticulously getting ready to go into it before that that we've had some conversations with people who just are more disconnected from the issues especially in public education and some of those conversations have thrown me for a bit of a loop I'm just like how do you how how do you think that and then I remind myself that like not everyone's for you pages like teachers all the time so like what like what are some disturbing things people say or think well it's not necessarily that it's disturbing it's like just like shocking that the amount of people for example who like don't know that there's a teacher shortage or like mm -hmm. don't know that that teachers are like fleeing this field right now yeah I've stumbled into some very scary looking comment sections recently like very antiquated teacher hate that's like you get the summers off and I was like we're still doing this I thought we were past oh, that. I got to do my favorite thing at work the other day where I, I don't remember how it came up, but we were talking about, oh, we were talking about being jealous of people on vacation. And I was saying how a couple of my friends who were still teaching were on spring break and I was jealous. And then I was like, eh, but they're getting disrespected every other week. So like, I guess I'll live. And <laughs> this guy was like, yeah, and they get the whole summer off. And I fucking love when I get to tell people that in the area that we're in, teachers don't get paid in the summer. I'm like, yeah, I actually taught here and we didn't get paid in the summer. We didn't. Either. And he was like, then what do you do? And I was like, like the amount of people who have no idea and they just assume that you're getting paid to do no work for two months. It's it's the same in Philly though. Like, and I didn't understand that when I signed my contract. First of all, because I had a year of experience, I expected that I was going to be at a higher pay scale level. And it turned out that my union had negotiated that it was your like level of experience minus one. The fuck? So like that whole year of experience was just like mixed. I would love to speak to every union negotiator because the amount of people who have told me that their teachers union negotiated either the most like opposite of effective thing or just like that like the most random niche thing that I don't see how that's a win for anybody it's so weird also there was nothing on the on the pay scale like website to have told me that it was a family member who's like a journalist and very thorough who was like, oh, actually, you're not going to get paid that. <laughs> I was like, no oh, way. great. And then it also took me time to realize that the 10-month salary was posted. I had selected for it to be over 12 months. And so I didn't realize that my monthly budget was also like very different. Oh, my god, Significantly less. That's a tough one to realize. Carlos, most first teachers don't know that. Yeah. And that's like something that I've been like seeing as being part of this like documentary, like seeing all of the different things that even my peers don't even really know about. And just the fact that I'm 
I'm learning maybe not more than they are, but I'm gaining that experience of like I'm talking to people who were in it or are in it and they know how this works and how this doesn't work. And so like one of the more specific issues that I've just been sort of wrapping my head around is how are we actually going to budget this teacher salary once we all graduate? Because so far, like that hasn't really been talked about in like my classes or in general, just because right now it's all about preparing to teach, not how are you going to manage your life <laughs> when you're teaching. They always forget about that part. Yeah. You were recently a child. Did you in especially high school feel like you were aware of kind of some of the struggles that your teachers were going through? Because I feel like when I was in high school, I did not ever think about that. But my students were much more aware. They would always say, Mr. Dagger, they treat you so bad here. I'm never doing this. I think it definitely started in high school just because of the boom of social media and how much Gen Z is aware of everything now. And we were like exposed to either the realities or the truths that aren't actually said. One of Carlos's professors is doing research into how social media is affecting teachers leaving the field. And for me, like the descent into going from I'm never leaving teaching to I'm quitting mid-year definitely was pushed along because teacher TikTok made me feel like I wasn't alone and like all the things that I was experiencing that were ridiculous were ridiculous and I'd have to put up with it. Social media is giving people the validation they need. I I absolutely agree with that. I think that social media absolutely played into me leaving teaching when I did. Just spooky. And now so many people are like, I quit because Miss Redacted quit and I am not kidding. No, I, I, when people say that, I'm like, ooh, girl, I didn't, I didn't say that. Like, like I was just talking about some stuff that happened to me. I, nobody told you to do that. We had Glitterbeard on and he literally was like, oh my God, I quit because of Miss Redacted. I was like, that's okay. Really happy you found a new job because I don't think I could handle it. I know. If you were like not okay right now. I've thought about the legality of this. I'm like, am I going to be, is somebody going to sue me because I got pregnant and laid in bed and squawked for a full year about how bullshit the education system is? I pray (laughs) that we get to see that court case. Uh, No! That is going to be the O.J. Simpson trial of our generation. (laughs) Can you sue someone for their post making you decide to quit your job? talking to a TikTok teacher today who's been on place on administrative leave because the people at her school weren't happy with the things that she was doing, which included teaching her third graders their constitutional rights for the First Amendment and like basically being a boss ass bitch, like doing cool stuff, doing nothing against what educators are supposed to do, doing exactly what I think educators should do. And she's been placed on administrative leave for pretty much no good reason. They can't give a good reason and she's not allowed to talk about it. It's basically a, un, like an unconsensual gag order. Oh my God. One thing that I've noticed time and time again is that districts will use vagueness to their advantage rather than just setting very clear boundaries with teachers. Like I understand districts have a like legal responsibility. So instead of them just being like, okay, let's come up with something sensible that like you're not gonna post the school you work at. You're not gonna post anything that is illegal. Like coming up with some pretty realistic guidelines. Most districts have like one line item that just says like teachers will act in a responsible manner on the internet, which is so bendable Mm -hmm. and so easy Mm -hmm. to just apply to anyone and say, oh, we don't like that you did X. 
boom, you're on administrative leave. We don't have, like that you did. Why? And that makes it so they don't have to really give a defense as opposed to if they really just set up beneficial, transparent rules. Yeah. No, exactly. Like I know, like I was following that saga and I know that they leaned really heavily on the dress code stuff. But let's be real. A dress code violation is a slap on the wrist. They were going to do what they were going to do. They just were latching on to anything that they could. So I feel like people are like, oh, well, you did break dress code. Okay, well, so fucking what? That's not the actual reason that they went for her and i feel like people should know that yeah and the dress code that she relayed to me was that it was something along the lines of attire should be an appropriate length you could see her ass when she bent over in that skirt like let's be real and that's fine like i respect teachers rights and teachers wrongs but i maintain that it was not even actually about the fucking dress code they just were gonna come to her because she's in texas and she was teaching them rights and she's an activist and they don't like that they they just are gonna latch on anything and even if like the dress code thing is usually not fireable it's usually a correction it's like don't wear that again that's not fireable shit happens and it's like you just deal with it and move on from it it usually doesn't escalate to that level no if the dress code was out of it and it was just about like the video posted a lot of districts have really like again vague guidelines around you know social media policies and a lot of those things are not anywhere near the contract that you do need to read they're policies that are passed that are totally separate and at no point in your training do they tell you here's where you can find these extra things that you are beholden to and there's probably hundreds of them that like you have to abide by and yet you're never made aware of and that happens to teacher after teacher on tiktok like so many people have had those issues and sometimes it's not even in their fucking contract it's just that a pissed off parent who doesn't even go to that school called in and was like hey this teacher on tiktok (laughs) did whatever and the principal just doesn't want to deal with it so they're like just stop but it's not even like an official policy it's shit like that it's like such a gray area for a lot of teachers i feel like they don't even get the warning they just get the like okay you're on leave they usually end up fired and they don't get the like the chance to do better or to clarify or to even retract something that they might regret saying like they get no chances i think that's also so interesting because one thing that i hate about teaching is how poorly managed teachers are and when i say poorly managed i don't want people to think i mean undermanaged because i think teachers are very micromanaged i just literally mean poor as ineffective management and i've worked for a big hotel company that's like renowned for how good it of a job it does at like employee engagement and management And when I compare how I was treated as an employee at that hotel compared to teaching, when I worked at that hotel, I got a buddy assigned to me my first day. I had very clear expectations about what was expected of me training-wise. I sat down with HR. They made very clear policies about social media with us because it was a nice hotel. We had like people of noteworthiness or whatever. And I just think about how every single year my manager would pretend to be a customer and assess me. And it was a very like productive conversation and how much systems and procedures can make employee development be effective and how teachers just do not get that at the very base level. No. I mean, we've just never viewed teaching as a profession in this country, like never not once have we viewed teaching as a profession or ever like respected teachers, even when men were the majority of teachers, but especially when women became like the majority of teachers in this country. No. And have you seen that? Like, I don't know the legitimacy of it, but have you seen the um, list of teacher rules for women? And it's like... I need to find this. It's my favorite 
favorite list yeah. ever. So 1915 rules for teachers. Starting off strong with you will not marry during the term of your contract. You are not to keep company with men. You must be home between the hours of 8 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless attending a school function. You may not loiter downtown in ice cream stores. I guess like all the bitches be hanging out at ice cream stores. <laughs> you may not travel beyond the city limits unless you have permission of the chairman of the board. You Holy may not shit. ride in a carriage or automobile with a man unless he is your father or brother. What about brother-in-law? You may not smoke cigarettes. You may not dress in bright colors. You may under no circumstances dye your hair. You must wear at least two petticoats. Your dress may not be shorter than two inches above the ankle. And to keep the schoolroom neat and clean, you must sweep the floor at least once daily, scrub the floor at least once a week with hot soapy water. Do they give the soap? Clean the backboards at least once a day and start the fire at 7 a.m. so the room will be warm by 8 a.m. This is apparently from the Cabell County, West Virginia Board of Education. Oh my God, all those poor teachers. I know. But like how many of those in like a weird way are still enforced. Like I've heard of people be like, oh, my son's teacher was pregnant last year and she abandoned his class. Are you planning on getting pregnant? Can you please not try to do that? Oh my God. This one is from 1872. It says, any teacher who smokes, uses liquor in any form, frequents pool or public halls, or gets shaved in a barber shop will give good reason to suspect his worth, intention, integrity, and honesty. Carlos, I can't believe you went and got a haircut just now too that's insane yeah isn't that crazy and like it's unfortunate that we have carried over so many like antiquated ways of thinking that just are so oppressive and fucked up it has nothing to do with you doing your job well if you are on social media or like if you break dress code oh no so what so few of those rules are like verbatim we have to follow them today like yes you can ride in a carriage if you find one but like today you can't have shit on social media that that reflects that you are young and dumb ever at any point like even when I was living at a boarding school I never felt like I could walk around in PJs even in like the hall in which I lived there's such a focus on on teachers being perfect at all times you can't be human beings so like the essence of that entire list is still completely in effect today and it's such fucking bullshit and I think it's also part of why people burn out because you can't be perfect all the time I remember my first year teaching I had this really funny moment where after a night of making probably not the best choices I could be making for my mind body and spirit I was in the McDonald's drive-thru at 3.30 in the morning and to my horror, my student was the one ringing me up and giving me my food and she goes, damn, I really forget that y'all be out and doing stuff. And I was like, you're right. We are out and we are doing stuff. Mad respect to her. I don't think she told any of the other kids because none of them ever brought it up to me. I love her. She's great. Shout out to her. The customer to McDonald's employee like privilege, like how you have with your lawyer. She embodied that in that moment and held my secret of looking a mess and very obviously being a mess. <laughs> Women supporting women's rights and wrongs. Like, yes. That's what I'm saying. That same year I had the principal who did set very clear boundaries for us. This is why he was a good principal. My first year, he said, if you get arrested, you better call me so I know about it before the kids do. And then he said, if you're gonna be an idiot on the internet, don't put the name of my school. And then he said, if you're gonna be hanging out and doing stuff with parents, wait till the kid's out of your class. And I was like, that is like a really realistic set of guidelines. For real. Very respectable. So Carlos, I'm so intrigued by the fact that you are still obtaining this major and know so much 
because I feel like that's how I was, but I don't feel like that's a very common thing. So many people are like, I don't want to know. Like I'm in school for education right now. Like, please don't say things that make me scared. Why are you still there? I've heard both sides, the very negatives, the this is why I quit. This is why I could not go another day in education. And then when I'm hearing those, I'm like, oh, okay. Like, let me take a step back. But then at the same time, when I'm talking to someone and they're like, don't forget the great experiences. Like this was the best day of my life. And I would not have this if I didn't go into education. And then I'm like, wow, why did I ever doubt that I want to be a teacher? So I am hearing both sides of the story to like the extremes. And through all of that, I'm kind of like formulating my own opinions. And I think that's what I enjoy. And that's what I'm getting out of all of this. Like I said earlier, I'm very open to everything. And so I'm just going to let time do its thing. Because what else can you do? Let time do its thing. (laughs) Mine's words. I want to hear more about this lovely documentary. Like kind of what's the vibes of the documentary? Who are you talking to? What are they saying? This documentary has everything. So the first episode is based in LA. And really like our plan is get LA episode wrapped and then we shop it out to like Netflix and Hulu and we try to make this be like a big streaming, probably limited docuseries, although TBD, if it's really successful, maybe we do more. Um, We're talking to as many different people as we possibly can. So teachers, people not in education, admin, parents, students, business leaders, politicians, especially because we really want to talk to people who are very influential in making decisions around what happens in education, but who maybe don't actually know what's going on. And what we're doing when we go back to LA at the beginning of May, especially is focusing on business people and trying to walk them through like, what do you understand about the teacher exodus right now? And how do you understand it affecting your business? It's going to affect your bottom line. It's going to affect the people you hire. But like, what do you actually realize about it? And are you going to be concerned by the time we're done having this conversation? Do they get concerned usually or no? We haven't talked to a business person on film yet. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I like scaring people. So I think I think we'll be successful. I hope that you scare people. Can you like, I wonder if there's a way where you can somehow legally and ethically, of course, deceive them into thinking that they are being detained and they can't leave because then I feel like you could really, you know, (laughs) like Stanford prison though. You get creative with your space. Um, I think you could really get into like the, the real dirty details of the education industry. That's a great idea. Carlos, you're going to man the spotlight. We'll just shine it right at them. Let's make them go into a classroom without any prior instruction. Oh, like undercover boss, but so much more traumatic. Who are the kids you ask? We ask every other teacher in that school, who are three kids that you would just be feeling a lot better if they weren't in this class? And then that's how we make that person's class. (laughs) That's how they made my class last year. (laughs) That was the pilot. You didn't see the cameras? I'm just so excited for you. Like, and maybe I'm biased, but I have so much respect for teachers who are going into the field who just kind of want to know everything, like the full picture. Because it is my belief that just because there's a lot of shit going on in the education system, it doesn't mean that education is necessarily a bad career. Like, I'm going to go back to teaching. I didn't have a great year last year. Like, I had the worst year last year. But, you know, you talk to veteran teachers long enough, they will say to you, there are ups and downs and the downs are downs like the recession when common core rolled out there were moments that were like really really hard for them that being said like i just am so excited to see like how it goes where you end up thank you i was like fortunate enough in high school to go to the career academy which was like a dual credit program so i was getting college credits in high school and that's sort of where i did most of my practicums like i have not had a practicum in college just because i already came in with them so like that's great but at the same time i'm like okay 
I'm kind of missing out on how the students they're managing post-COVID stuff because my practicums were before everything that happened. What state are you in? I'm in Nebraska. I have never heard of <laughs> Nebraska. No, oh, I've heard of fucking Nebraska. <laughs> I was the one that doesn't exist. <laughs> Iowa is a scam. That is a government scam. I digress. But yeah, coming back to that, I... You've never had student teaching? I am going to have student teaching my last semester. So I'm going to student teach a year from now. And then next semester, I am going to have practicums. So I'm going to have a practicum in a middle school and then a practicum in a high school. And practicums like your observation block? Yeah, it's like observation block. But in college, if you get like along with your teacher well, you'll like actually teach the class every now and then if you want to and stuff like that. So it's all just like relationship building and whether you're like good at it or not. It's like a reality TV show of teaching. (laughs) Do they have a pyramid where they say you're on the top, you're on the bottom? That's how they pick who gets the solos? I would do that if I was a professor. We are getting partnered for practicums. Do you get to pick? Not for practicums. For student teaching, we can like preference something, especially since I'm like social sciences, so I can teach like seven different things. So we'll see how that goes. I've had a lot of experience with K through five, and I haven't had any experience with like middle schoolers or high schoolers. So that's what's making me a little nervous being a year away from being certified to teach middle schoolers and high schoolers. So I started teaching high school. I taught 11th grade. I was 21. I graduated college when I was 20. I had no experience in education, and I had never student taught a day in my life. And it went fine, honestly. My behavior management was probably the highlight of my teaching career. Your data was really good too. Yeah, but that's like boring. But that's very impressive. Yeah, but like, (laughs) like that's not like a fun vibe. Like my classroom management is my highlight because we had a good vibes only classroom. And if anything, I think you being aware of that concern shows you that it'll be fine. If you go into teaching and you like, you love it and then something happens and you don't love it anymore and you don't do it for the rest of your life, like you're not a failure. You didn't do anything wrong. You know, like I want you to follow your path and like follow the options the whole time. It's always tough, I think, to like tune out other people's opinions and voices. You also already have the knowledge that like the world is so open to you. And I feel like the hardest thing is when you're zeroed in on like, I want to do this and only this. Then that leaves room for like disappointment. Just keep that healthy, like open mind. You'll be Gucci. (laughs) Do you think you're going to stay in the documentary world? I don't know about the documentary world but like we've talked about teacher advocacy itself for whatever reason if I don't end up being a teacher there's still ways that I can be in education and still do what I wanted to do I'm so glad that you said that because that's something that I feel like a lot of aspiring teachers need to know especially the ones that are feeling nervous it's not just a junk certification or degree you have so many skills you can go so many directions with it it's not just teaching and like I'm so glad that you said that what about you Julia? That's such a fascinating question. Um, I wish I could deflect it. Really? I don't know what my next steps are going to be. I'm consulting right now on the sex ed curriculum at a Philly school. I love it. And like when we were talking about the health stuff, like I, I don't get squeamish at all. I was an educator on like sexual violence and sexual violence prevention. Damn. So talking to people about sex, drugs, and drinking is up my alley. I love doing it. I think it's so necessary, but not, not enough being done. And I don't have any like grandiose ideas of what I can do on my own, but I would like to pitch in and do what I can. I 
don't know if I'm going to go back to the classroom because, you know, the reason I left was the conditions were so bad. And I don't want to go back to a private or charter school. I only want to go back when the conditions are better for teachers everywhere. There's just a place for everybody. Even people who aren't educators can advocate for teachers. And we need that, actually, because there's nothing scarier than feeling like nobody has your back. But what can make you feel better if you're in that situation? It's, It's the community members. It's the parents. People who, if you got pushback from admin would call the school and be like hey like we support so and so and also like the stuff that Sally's doing the research the bird's eye view I think people get tunnel vision about it sometimes yeah and honestly I I turned down a job position working at a like a queer health center I was going to be an educator teaching people about interpersonal violence and the intersections with just like queerness and especially trans identities and like as a queer teacher that was something that I really wanted to do but I couldn't make that work and do this documentary so that's another thing like if I don't stick on this kind of path or go into classroom teaching traditionally I would go into like sexual violence prevention or queer advocacy or really like light-hearted just easy have very important though yeah or a bartend or both when I was bartending I had I had like a good bartending friend who I like I'd asked him I was like yeah like what do you want to do like what do you want to be when you're older and he was like happy and I was like okay that's a fucking good answer I wasn't prepared for you know bartenders hold some great wisdom bartending is actually like a dope-ass career and I feel like in some ways easier to create a nice work-life balance in I feel like you would be good at that. At bartending? Yeah, I do. I think you'd be really good. So at I'm it. really good at like the, I've done it before and I'm really good at like the little chit chat and like the, like listening to people's darkest secrets and all of that. <laughs> but I am really bad at remembering small details. So I make a lot of people's drinks wrong and then I just make them really strong and I'm like, they'll be fine because they're strong. And then all the managers would be like, please stop wasting so much alcohol. <laughs> like there's parts of it that I'm good So at. you'd be my favorite bartender is what you're telling exactly. me. Exactly. <laughs> I feel like teaching and bartending might be kind of closely aligned. Like the vibe that you bring to a parent-teacher conference is kind of the same vibe you bring to the bar. My favorite hill to die on is the thing that prepared me the absolute best for being a teacher was waitressing in a high-volume restaurant because it taught me how to manage lots of things at one time and how to organize a lot of people to make sure that they're all having a good experience and like create a system. A hundred percent. I completely agree. The service industry is good for so much. I've heard the same thing about Starbucks and teaching. I believe that. makes that. sense. Like strong emotional aggression directed at you, like lots of competing priorities. And to be honest, the way you talk to like drunk adults is so similar to the way you have to manage children. Like The amount of people that I have like just convinced them to give me their keys because I'm like, yeah, I know you feel great, but I would hate if maybe a police officer felt like you didn't feel great. I know you're good to drive. I know it for <laughs> sure. But those, those cops, man. It's like me and you are friends. They, I am not the enemy. Uh, Julia, Carlos, are there any other teaching insights you want to share with the people? Any fears you have about the future of education? <laughs> Just the way that we're seeing the education system go into right now and how it's slowly falling apart. The biggest fear, I think, is that it is going to fall apart and we're not going to be able to fix it. Do you or... think that if it falls apart, we have an opportunity to like build it back up better? Or do you just feel like if it falls apart, we're kind of done so? If you look at civilization anywhere, they've crashed and burned and then that's when the good one starts. So it's like, okay, are we waiting for that to happen? Or I don't know. 
We've had a lot of conversations with people that kind of go into the really existential dark place. I think, honestly, you talk for like more than 10, 15 minutes about education and the direction it's going and you end up into like, maybe we're all fucked and this is all going to be terrible anyway. <laughs> like, that's pretty much where you end up every time. And like, I, I haven't found what comes after that because I just kind of stare at a wall for a while after we get to that point in the conversation. But there are there are countries that do it better than we do it. And when you think about like how much possibility there is out there, like I think that we have the possibility to do better better and to course correct. I think it's a similar problem to climate change in the fact that like it's gonna take a massive fucking effort and a lot of people have a skin in the game for it to not happen. Like a lot of people would like for us to have an uneducated population and a lot of people would like for people to not go to college as much because then you have people to work the construction jobs that you don't want your privileged kids working. Structurally there's a lot that are obstacles for us to really like pivot away from this like dark path that we're maybe on but I think that there are a lot of people who care. I think that there are a lot of people who just don't actually know what they need to do and know where to start that's part of why i like the who taught you model of like we try to get people to at least recognize the people that made a difference for them in schools feel a little bit more connected when they feel disconnected to education or they feel hopeless just like spread some good vibes pay it forward and then we maybe kind of scare them a little bit with this documentary or at least like pull the covers back a little the last step is we try to give them something to do about it we want to foster conversations for people where they go and get in a room where there aren't phones or microphones or whatever is going to make them worry that they actually speak their mind. They get to talk to people at all levels from like students, parents, superintendents, policymakers, blue collar workers, totally feeling disconnected. And we all just figure out what we need to do to make our communities and our schools thrive in the way that we all want them to thrive. I freaking love that. Have you practiced that? Have you said that like eight times? That was amazing. Like in different interviews and shit. That was really good. (laughs) Everything you said, I was like, yes, yes. A lot of people just feel the same way and like don't know what to do. You know, but that's why I think it's so fucking important that people outside of education are the ones doing the hard work because like in any oppressive system, the people who are being oppressed really can't speak out. And if you're looking at education as a whole and you're looking at teachers as the quote unquote oppressed person, we need people who are not in that space to speak out for the teachers, to speak out for their work environment because their work environment is the student's learning environment. That's many students safe place the place they go to eat every day like not for everyone but like for a big population like that's a very sacred space and we need to protect that but like if teachers were being listened to we wouldn't have the issues that we do like people have said to me how are you going to make a change if you're not in the classroom and I'm like I don't think I can from inside the classroom actually I wish yeah so the things that you just said the fact that you're in the position that you are in like it gives me actually a lot of hope that you're going to shine a spotlight on the right things to hopefully bring awareness. It's just so complicated, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> the two most important demographics for us to like win over, I guess, are parents and business leaders. Because like politicians, you can argue like have a stake in having a, an easily swayed electorate. And so like, you know, people who might be acting in bad faith won't really care about education. Though many politicians do genuinely care. But business leaders have a financial incentive to have really qualified applicants applicants and they're simply not going to have that if our education continues the way it is. And then parents obviously care first and foremost about their students, but most parents
parents in this country do not have the financial privilege that like the most powerful people in this country do. So the numbers of people that could be speaking out, if we give them an easy way to do it, because they want their students and their communities to have better than they currently do. I'm going to give you an idea that I think about very frequently. It's a bit of a it's a bit of a conspiracy theory, but I think that this is good ammo for you to make the business people think. So Waffle House, the way that they do their ordering system is very weird. Basically, the server takes the order and then they put the condiments like the little jellies in a different arrangement on the plate to tell the line cook the order. They say they do this because it's very efficient, whatever. I think part of the reason is because it cuts down on the literacy requirement, partially because then you don't have to read someone's handwriting, but then also because Waffle House employs a lot of people that maybe struggle in that area of their life. So I think one thing that would be really, really powerful for someone that owns like an operations business is how would your employee do their work if they didn't know how to read? And having to think about how a workflow would change when someone is not functionally literate. I remember when I realized that about Waffle House, and I've never read that anywhere, it's just kind of something that I thought about and put piece together. But I was like, damn, that really makes you think about like how reading is at the basics of so many jobs, even jobs that we don't think of as like elite jobs. And like so many kids are functionally illiterate in schools right exactly. now. Exactly. When we say that like kids are going to become more and more illiterate, that, that some people are going to look at that and be like, well, teachers aren't doing a good job. Like why the fuck would I give them more money when they can't even teach my kid how to read? But it's that teachers are doing 17 jobs. And one of those jobs is teaching your kid how to read, which is a huge job in and of itself. You cannot continue to defund schools or let's I'm instead of being defunded, but really poorly and non-strategically funding schools and then giving teachers more and more tasks so that they cannot focus on the ones that m- matter most, which is making sure we have literate students. Yeah, I have fully taught 11th graders that are functionally illiterate and they graduated high school and are yeah. now in the workforce. We're moving the goalposts and making it easier. And I keep hopping into comment sections where people are talking about how they cannot carry out IEPs for their special education students to fidelity. And parents are in there like, well, I have an IE- a kid with an IEP like I would never want to have a teacher like you and it's like no 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 no. we're not saying that these children are a burden that is not at all the case but what's happening is being able to carry out an IEP to fidelity is an incredibly important task for a teacher and legally we have to do it but if you have kids on 504s BIPs IEPs English learners or emergent bilingual students whatever your school calls it you are doing a lot at once and you're teaching the general ed population you're also teaching the gifted students in your class which they need to be differentiated for as well like it cannot be overstated how many jobs teachers are doing so what falls through the cracks is everything you're trying to keep all these balls in the air and you're doing none of it perfectly. That piece of literacy was something that was on my mind all the fucking time last year. Redacted, you've said before, like, it's not going to be fixed until it's a problem for those higher ups. My prediction is that in 7 to 15 years, we'll have a mass hiring crisis due to mass illiteracy, um, and then we will fix it. That's my my two cents. But it'll take time. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think that'll be... And uh, then, like, what happens to those kids? Exactly. It's going to be messy. When I say we'll fix it, I simply just mean that will make the government be like, ooh, maybe we should do something about this. Well, change is uncomfortable. Yeah. It just is always going to be. Exactly. We're going to do what we can, but like what you're doing is good work and I'm so thankful that like you came on to talk to us and like I hope that everybody yes, listening watches the Who Taught You documentary or whatever it's called. <laughs> it's going to be so 
good. Yeah, just thank you for being here. Yes, thank you all for joining thank us. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Teacher Appreciation Week is coming up, which is, I think, May 8th to May 12th. So it's like the second week in May. And most of us have someone in a school that did something amazing for us, whether we're in schools now or we've been out for a while. The first biggest thing that you can do is just show your appreciation. Tell them thank you. If you want to like share a story with us, you can record a video. It could be super short. It could be long. You can really go into it. You can just say, hey, so-and-so, thanks for being awesome. And tag us in it and we'll amplify your message. You could also just leave it as a comment or whatever, but like pay it forward because teachers never get to hear the thanks and it means so much to them. And when they can hear it, it like probably makes them more likely to stay in the field when they feel like their efforts are worth something. If you can do that, and especially if you tag us in it, then we'll like, we'll amplify the message and we'll make it into a big viral thing. That's what we're working on right now. Aw, I love that. Yeah, we want it to be like, you know, like the ice bucket challenge where everyone is doing it and you challenge your friends to do it. It's not quite big enough for us to tell people to challenge their friends yet because no one knows about it yet but we're, we're we're starting to we're starting to pick up some steam trend is starting right here right now and we'll put who to tag in the description of this episode if anyone is listening to this and you're like i want to make the video and tag them and if you have 25 50 bucks to throw around you can donate to the who taught you honor roll and that does two things one it does support the docuseries that's what that goes towards but the second thing is that it puts for 25 dollars the name of the educator who changed your life on our website so they like show them as an impactful educator and for 50 bucks it puts them on the website and at the end of our film credits that is a phenomenal deal i'm gonna buy that for myself i'm gonna be like <laughs> i'm an educator that made a difference if i wasn't in this already i would be saying it for myself too uh, thank you all so much yeah. for joining us i'm excited that this documentary is a thing i'm excited that they have people who have been in the classroom people who are in preparation to enter the classroom and are getting a lot of perspectives it was lovely to talk to you all so nice to talk to you you as well and thank you everyone for listening This has been another episode of Teacher Quit Talk. If you want to give us five stars, please do it on the app of your choosing. And if you're like, I don't know if they deserve five, close this app immediately and we'll see you next week. Yes. Thank you to Genevieve M, Katie B, and Ross639112 for your five-star reviews. We love you so much. Kisses. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.